T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner. Welcome to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh, yeah. On America's Sports Voice. KMOX. 11.06, Tom Ackerman with you on the show. We had Mike Schilt, the Cardinals manager, in the 10 o'clock hour. Great to visit with him. Starting off the show, though, was Lucas Rugley of Love the Lou, someone that I know our next guest knows and appreciates what he's doing. And Kyle has been very active in our city and has done so much. And I'm talking about Kyle McClellan, the former Cardinals pitcher host and guest on this show multiple times and has done a lot of work on KMOX. He's a world champion. And in life, he has taken on an amazing thing with his wife, Bridget, in the Brace for Impact Foundation and everything that you've done moving forward, including work in North City. And I know that it's been important every single day you've been involved, none more so than today, Kyle, which uh, we have been... I know trying to comprehend and absorb everything that's going on. Uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I think one thing that struck me today in seeing your posts on Instagram, but also, um, you know, a lot of people have uh, tried to say something and not be silent anymore. And I think what we're trying to say, uh, and I know that you share this because I read what you wrote today, is that we need to listen more and listen to each other. Uh, how would you describe uh, your thoughts along those lines? Well, I think it's, you know, just sitting down this morning, having my coffee and kind of reflecting and, you know, thinking about the current situation. And there's, you know, I think everybody feels like they, they have to speak out and take a side. And um, really in, in my stance, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm more apt to go out and do something than say something. I think too many people say something that just muddies the water. And, and to be honest with you, there's a lot of things that I, I, don't have, you know, really the uh, the expertise to, to share on because some of the scenarios and situations that people are going through are not things that I've lived. And, and so you do, the worst thing you can do is, is come out and speak when you really don't know what you're talking about. And I think what I've learned the most through uh, our time of the charity is just how to listen and how to, how to listen to, if you really want to help people, listen to the people you're trying to help. Don't come in and tell them what they need and how it needs to be done, but let them tell you what they need because the reality is you're helping people in a situation that you've never experienced, you've never lived in their shoes. And so for you to come in and tell them what they need is difficult. And those are, that's, one of, that's the biggest lesson I've learned in the work we're doing here in St. Louis and down in Haiti. And uh, I think it's what's made us successful. We have an amazing partner who I listen to who knows the, the pulse and the beat of the community of what's going on and what those people need. 
And so then we can come together and figure out how I can do what I can do and how they can do uh, what they're good at. And we can work together and do that. But it comes to listening. I, I hear people's views and they want to say this is, you know, they, they all ultimately want to share what, what's wrong and how to fix it. And, and that's really not how we're going to do it. How we're going to do it is sit down with somebody and, and really be open and listening to, to what they have to say and hear their side of it and, and the things they go through. And be receptive to that and, and uh, be open and vulnerable to that to each other and, and love each other, respect each other, and then sit down and try to figure out a solution. But telling people what to do, uh, adapting your, your parents' or grandparents' mindset just because that's you know, what you've been told is, is not going to get it done. I'm seeing anger. I'm seeing sadness out there, but I'm also seeing fear. People are scared. Then and they're you just said a big word there, and that's vulnerable. We are seeing people show their vulnerability and explain. And that's why if you slow down and listen, you can hear that. Uh, but what are people telling you? What do they tell you, Kyle? Well, I think there, there's there's fear on both sides. You know, I, look, everybody, I think the situation at, at hand that everybody's talking about, it, it, everybody clearly knows the, the right from wrong. I mean, that that's not in debate. Um, but then the, the reaction afterwards, you know, it, it's, you know, how can we go about this and, and make sure that the justice is brought, but also, um, do it in a way that 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 honors um, the family and the victim, and uh, and does it in a way that doesn't destroy our city. You know, I mean that's uh, th- that's that's the hard thing. But then you also understand that people are tired of not being hurt. You know, so there, there's both sides of it, and I think that's the the thing that people have to understand is the side you're on. It doesn't have. We don't have to have sides. You know, it doesn't have to be your side or my side. It could be, hey, I understand what you're doing, but you know, let's figure out how we can. Uh, how we can come together and, and figure out a solution on this and, and not take sides. I think ultimately everybody wants to split you. The media wants to split you in the sides. Your friends want to split you in the sides. Every society wants to split you in the sides, and it's not doing anything to bring us together. I don't know that there's a bigger uh, sports celebrity over the last 20, 30 years than Kurt Warner in this city is respected as anybody. And he tweeted this morning uh, basically telling us to look at ourselves. He's saying, I'm physically upset by the hate in our country. We need systemic change. We need political change. We need societal change. But above all, we need personal change, he writes. The others will take time. But each of us today can choose love over hate, love over prejudice, love overall what do you think of what kurt said today yeah that's great now now can we go do it yeah. i mean that that's the and that's what i mean about you know just coming out and having a voice like everybody wants to to say to feel like they have to say something but it's like i you know i'd rather go do than say yeah. and uh and it's one thing to say it it's another thing to do it and so we look here, here's the thing we, we've we've been through this i mean we've been multiple times and everybody wants to say well this is what we need to do this is how we're going to do it and then we're back at this again you know so um you know, things are going to have to change on a lot of different levels, but uh, but he's right. I mean, it starts with yourselves and, and, and your friends and your family and those conversations that you have. But ultimately, like I put in my post today, Dom, it just it comes down to sitting down and honestly listening and, and, and not thinking that we have all the answers. I think that's the problem that everybody gets in is they think, well, I know how to fix this and whatever you say doesn't matter. You got to be you got to be receptive and open to hearing it. Maybe things a little bit differently than, than the way that you view them or, or the way that uh you know, your lifestyle is, is is different than other people's. In terms of physically taking action like you and your group are doing, uh, how can people help? And I, I guess the obvious is that they could make a donation uh, to help fund what the foundation is doing moving forward. But how can they help you? And can yeah, they, mean, can they for volunteer us, for you? Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a good question. So the, the way that we approach it, um, we, we, we trust our local leaders and, and we try to, to develop the community uh, through – 
the local workers. So we're not big on the volunteer opportunities in terms of like inside our program where we're working. Um, but, you know, and it doesn't have to be through us. What we are trying to do as, as an organization is stabilize families. And I think if we can stabilize families and kids in particular, you know, it's going to give them an opportunity to be successful in the future. When, when you look at poverty alleviation and community development, it really comes down to stabilization um, and, and having an opportunity. If you're, if you're constantly moving around and, and don't have uh, some of those core values really built into you from the very beginning, it's going to be more challenging for those children to be successful. And so for us, that's our focus. Um, and, you know, that's not for everybody. But I would say, you know, anything you can do on a family structure side, investing in kids and giving them the opportunity um, that they can you know, rise up and, and have a, a great childhood so that they be, can become great young uh, leaders and, uh, you know, investing in the future and the leadership of our community. I appreciate you taking my text today and uh, rearranging your schedule to come on today at 11.05. I wanted to make sure that we get the word out about uh, not only what you're doing, but just to, to start the motion of all of us trying to do a little bit more. How can people get in touch with your foundation? And I know you have a big event on the calendar for August that <laughs> I'm involved in, for that matter. So it's in my, it's in my schedule. Uh, what's the status of that right now? Yeah, we're actually in uh, in some serious limbo on our big gala that we have in August. Uh, we we're, we're, should be coming down to a decision this week um, if we're going to be able to host that or not. And if not, we will have an alternative uh, online function uh, uh, version of the gala uh, because it's such a crucial event for our organization. So we will move that virtually if needed. Uh, but you, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're on all of those at Brace for Impact 46 and uh, or, or my personal you know, in, Instagram or Facebook as well. Um, that, that gives a lot of information on the work we're doing, both locally and internationally. And Kyle's Instagram is Kyle McClellan 46 and also on his uh, Twitter account, he retweeted or actually shared his Instagram post, which we certainly appreciate and, and part of the reason I wanted to have you on today. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for joining Chris Raby for his 2011 Revisited as well. It's been nice to hear your thoughts on that. And, of course, as soon as baseball gets going again, we'll keep our fingers crossed. And you've been, yes. I guess, the uh, final thing is to get your thoughts on that because you've been on that side. You've been a, a player rep. You understand about the business. Um, do we just need to be patient and, and as fans and media and people who care about this game uh, let the business play out? Yeah, it, you got to be patient because I, I think – Unfortunately, MLB put a lot of uh, pressure players early on, putting them in the spotlight of saying they're going to have to take a pay cut or we're not playing. And it put the players in a bad spot. They kind of beat them to the, to the punch on the, on the public side of things and the negotiation. You never know what's going on behind closed doors. Uh, they throw things out to the media on both sides to kind of get the upper hand. But uh, we've got to be patient, let that play out. I think both sides ultimately want to get back and playing. Uh, but we're gonna we're coming out of that crucial time. If you want to start early July, you're gonna need to have people in camp getting ready here soon because you want to prevent those injuries when they do ramp it up. So I would say in the next week or so, we're gonna have an answer of, of what's gonna happen. Well, I look forward to the times where we can just talk pitching and hitting. That's for sure. But th these, <laughs> absolutely, this is a very very important conversation that we had and that we are going to continue to have. And thanks for doing it, Kyle. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Tom. Thank you. Kyle McClellan with us on Sports on a Sunday morning. Great to have him. It's 11-16. We'll take a break. When we come back, Tom Deary, he's trying to get racing going in the state of Illinois. He's representing many, many racetracks throughout the area that are asking Governor J.B. Pritzker to open up so that they can conduct business. We'll hear that next. It's KMOX's Sports on a Sunday morning. I'm Tom Ackerman back after this. KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh, yeah.
on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back, sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. If you recall a couple of weeks ago, I had the general manager of Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway, Chris Blair, on the show, and he said this. Because of the rules of the state of Illinois uh, that you know, we currently have on lockdown from Governor Pritzker, uh, it's currently prohibited. Now, we are allowed to have testing. Uh, private testing with smaller groups, but you know, unfortunately, having the ability to, to really make an impact, you can't do it with you know small tests. You need to be able to to get the groups out there. He was talking about illegal street racing in St. Louis and providing the opportunity for people to work on the drag strip and uh, battle it out there. And that's not only what he wants to do, and that's not only the only track in the state of Illinois that wants to get involved. There are a lot of people that are trying to understand how they can get racing going again. And joining us is Tom Deary of Rockford Raceway in Rockford, Illinois. He serves as motorsports ambassador for the performance racing industry, a longtime racing veteran. Tom, great to have you on K. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. What did you think? Great of the, to be here. Great to have you. What do you think of those thoughts from Chris Blair and uh, what's happening in the state of Illinois right now with the governor, J.B. Pritzker? Well, Chris was uh, spot on about the analysis of what the situation is. And based on what uh, the frustration that Gateway was or Worldwide Technology Raceway was going through, yeah, the Illinois Motorsports Coalition was put together of all the various tracks, drag strips, road courses, uh, monster truck facilities, tractor pole organizations, anybody within the state of Illinois that had a motorsports lean, we were uh, put together a very informal group and now been somewhat formalized as the Illinois Motorsports Coalition to primarily become the voice or at least get a seat at the table when the discussion about opening up is brought up, that people understand that motorsports facilities are unique. They're generally, they're all outdoors. There's plenty of space. We can operate our businesses well within many of the guidelines that have been laid out by the CDC and other states and get back into business and start entertaining folks and get uh, the race cars back on the racetracks. That's been a big challenge in Illinois because of all the things that have been, they say no to it. We uh, racetracks and uh, motorsports facilities get lumped into those groups. And if you literally follow what the, uh, the Pritzker rules are, it'll be a long time before we could ever have spectators back. So the uh, motorsports coalition got together, started to reach out to the legislative people, the, the governor's office, the Department of Commerce saying, hey, wait a minute, motorsports is different. We've got wide open spaces. We can do distancing. Let us get our businesses back. And that's the fight that we're in the middle of. One of your concerns is that residents in Illinois are going to other states like the state of Missouri and recently an event was held in Peavley, Missouri, where about half the teams were from Illinois, weren't they? That's correct. Uh, it's now Missouri, uh, Iowa just uh, came out with a 50% spectator uh, allowance in their grandstands. Uh, Wisconsin is basically the same, about a 50% basically open. Indiana has a very clear 
path which, where they'll be allowing spectators uh, starting out at 25 percent. So the, all of this, and actually Kentucky for that matter too, is now allowing events. So all surrounding Illinois, motorsports is coming back in a controlled manner and very thoughtful process just have not been able to move the needle in Illinois. So what is the reopening plan? How would the tracks and venues in Illinois go about that? Well, many of the tracks have already begun, uh, as Chris mentioned, uh, opening up for testing where a participant can come out. The goal is, of course, to bring back spectators and ultimately be to the point where we can operate businesses without any other, other than, you know, thoughtful, uh, concerns about people's uh, protections and safeties. But uh, the goal is obviously to get back. And the next step is a percentage of spectators allowed to allow us to work our way back into full 100%. And as a, as I just said, Iowa is now at 50%. Missouri is uh, basically open, but they have a percentage that many of the local uh, health departments are utilizing. So those are that's where we want to be is to be able to start bringing spectators back, bring them back in a controlled method and get this, get these facilities open. Of course, the NASCAR event in Joliet was canceled and that was supposed to be held in June. And then of course, our interest here would be in late August after the Indianapolis 500, the Bomberito automotive group, 500 IndyCar, but also NASCAR in the same weekend. But you're talking about not only these major events that are important to the economy, but events uh, throughout many towns and many areas in the state of Illinois. How much of a hit uh, is this to you? It's a big hit, uh, probably unknown to a lot of people that uh, the state of Illinois has the third most racetracks of any state in the country, Uh, Iowa, Pennsylvania, then Illinois. So there is... There are numerous facilities from the top of the state to the bottom of the state all the way across that most of them just operate weekly, uh, whether it's an oval track, dirt track, uh, drag strip, the road courses. There's there's a lot of motorsports that happens in Illinois, both from the participation side and the spectating side. There's also a lot of motorsports industries in the state of Illinois. So it's a very important part of the economy of Illinois. And that's part of what the Motorsports Coalition hopes to do, is to remind our state representatives and legislative body that this is an important part of our state. Let's get back to business. How would you go about doing that, Tom? We're talking to Tom Deary with the coalition and with Rockford Raceway. What would be uh, the steps in that direction to get their attention? Well, a lot of uh, it, it's basically outreach, and it has started at the grassroots where we've asked our local tracks to reach out to their local state representatives or senators, and many of them have. We've enlisted the uh, PRI uh, uh, Action Network, the the, the, the lobbyist group. Uh, we've got a couple lobbyists. Uh, the Gateway or Worldwide Technology Raceway has has a lobbyist now working in Springfield, as does another group of uh, racetracks. So we've begun that, uh, you know, the groundwork now of of making sure that that message is being delivered to the people who need to hear it that will ultimately put pressure on the governor. And and I, we all know that we're not the only group. There is, 
in the state of Illinois, everybody who has a small business has a business is asking the same thing of the governor. Please let us get back to business. Let us open up. Let's go. Let's get this economy going again. So it's a pretty strong chorus, and we're one of the members of that chorus. Rockford Speedway, and we certainly appreciate you joining us, Tom Deary, and uh, on behalf of the coalition, providing us the information and getting the word out there. How can people contact you? What's the best way that race fans can learn more information? The uh, the best bet is to uh, go to the uh, Illinois Motorsports Coalition. Um, we've got a website set up now and a Facebook page. And either one of those and send your support and we'll give you the directions from that point there. That is Illinois Motorsports Coalition. You can search for them, look for that, and learn more about their statement on reopening, the impact of motorsports in the state of Illinois, and what they are dealing with right now. We have uh, many venues that have been shut down and are not, at this moment, operational outside of testing. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Very good. Thank you. Good talking to you all. We'll be back in a moment on KMOX. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh, America's Sports Voice, KMOX. It's 11.32 on Sports on a Sunday morning, and the reserve spot for the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mosellock, who is always agreeable to joining the show, and we always appreciate that, John, that you take the time out of your Sunday to be with us. How are you today? Well, probably like everyone, um, trying to figure out what's going on in our world and uh, confusing times, but... uh, you know, on the baseball front, still optimistic that, that maybe at some point this summer we'll play baseball. It is a hard time right now and a time where we're trying to uh, listen to each other, have conversations. And how does baseball play a role? I've always felt that sports bring people together. Uh, we've seen it in many times throughout history, and perhaps that can help in some way, John, if if we can get sports back and i know it's not as easy as we know just snapping the finger and getting sports going it is a business and it's hard but if it does come back sports can play a role in helping us can't they well i would hope so um you know it's just sort of amazing that that you know a week ago we're we're trying to discuss what it might look like if we could get back to baseball um worrying about the safety issues the economic issues and then within 24 hours or a day of that, that conversation, things shifted dramatically through our country. And it's, it's one of those things where I, I think everybody just takes a moment to pause and, and, and realize that there's a long history of, of mistakes that have been made in this country. And, and, and hopefully this is an opportunity to, to show optimism or to show that there's a chance of change because you don't want to have these types of things just be where they just become where it's always just a repeat of, of what we've, we've read or heard. And, you know, given that this is really coast to coast, um, you know, touching all segments of our country, I, I do hope this is a, a time where, where you look back and say, this made a difference. It's very well said, and uh, it is definitely a time to look how you can make a difference because we are all part of this solution. 
John, I had my kids in the car yesterday, which decided that while mommy uh, went out to run some errands, that the girls were going to come with me. We're just going to go for a drive and uh, just, you know, not be cooped up at home and let the girls get out and and see what's going on around town. So we went uh, out to Lone Elk Park. I don't know if you've ever been out there. We went out to Lone Elk Park, saw some deer and some elk walking around. We went to Susan Park in South County. Threw a line in the water, tried to catch some fish and just kind of get get out in the sun a little bit. And then we went downtown and we saw the arch and then we drove by Bush Stadium. I didn't want to be sad necessarily. I just wanted to see it and I wanted them to see it. So we saw all the new features of Ballpark Village and sort of drove around and, and took a look. Man, the ballpark looked good. I mean, out there in the sun. And one of my girls said, Dad, we'd be there today, wouldn't we? And I said, yeah, if there was a game, you'd darn right we'd be there. Um, we miss it. We We miss it a lot. If we were to start, do do you prefer having your players at Bush Stadium to train? How would Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium fit into that? Uh, what is your preference at this point if we can get things going here in spring training 2.0? Yeah, so my hope would be that we would use St. Louis uh, Bush Stadium. I think uh, most players that I spoke with would prefer to get to one place where they could you know, set up their house or apartment and and not have to to sort of do that again the other the only real negative of doing something in st louis is exhibition games could be be hard to to do because you know unfortunately there's just no one right down the street from us but you know speaking with our staff there's a pretty high confidence level that if we had a camp of roughly 50 players that we could enter squad and feel pretty confident that we could get the work in we need so that's sort of the hope right now. And I also think it would be just great for our city to have something a little different, you know, just to, to talk about and to bring a little life down there. So that's our intentions. And uh, we, we submitted that to MLB as our proposal and haven't heard anything back in terms of, of them not thinking that's workable. Understanding this is a negotiation between the union and the owners, and it does take time, uh, do you think that this will be an important week for all of that? Do you think we're going to hear something fairly soon? I know you remain and have remained optimistic. You know, I I, I, I think like on any given day, my, my ups and downs are like probably everyone else's where I have some level of hope, and then it's like, oh, boy. Because um, I read a lot of what you guys read and, and see, and you know I do have some insights of, of what's going on behind the scenes. But you know, clearly, if if we want to salvage a season, an agreement needs to come pretty shortly. So when you talk about the importance of this week, I think it's uh, it's an understatement. I, I certainly feel like um, there has to be some momentum to get something done, and. I think there'll be some real telltales uh, early on in the week if, if that's going to be possible. And as far as uh, we know, the MLB draft is right on schedule. How? What's the status there, John? Well, as you know, the changes in the draft this year, five rounds only. Um, you know, the likelihood of these young men getting a chance to play this summer are probably very low. So it's, it's limited on, on how we'll um, be able to ingest, if you will, talent. But, you know, I know Randy Flores and his team is working really hard to, to prepare for it. Um, you know, for us, we're fortunate because we do have some extra picks this year. And uh, hopefully we can uh, add some real talent into our system as, as um, we try to do every draft. But the strategy is certainly different because 
when you think about the old model, you had, you know, 40 shots on goal. This model, you're going to have a, a lot less. So, um, obviously, you're going to have to try to, to get it right, and um, you're not going to be given a lot of room for error. John Mozalak is with us, Cardinals President of Baseball Operations. What can you tell us about uh, the minor leaguers right now and just the minor leagues in general? It is a huge operation across many areas of the country, and the Cardinals are located in many areas right now. A lot of people to account for. How is the organization continuing to support the minor leagues, and, and what do you see here in the coming weeks? Yeah, so obviously a lot's been written about minor league baseball, Um really all spring and, and into early summer here. But um, we are going to, to try to support our minor leaguers um, definitely through the month of June and perhaps longer. I'm hopeful of that. We, um, right now, all our employees are, are still being um, compensated and given their benefits. So fingers crossed that can continue. Um, as far as like what's happening with, with young players, they're, they're, they're on their own. Um, we definitely try to stay in communication with them on a sort of bi-weekly basis in terms, I should say bi-monthly basis, where we, we just want to understand what they're up to, if there's any health issues, is there anything that we could do uh, to help them. But there's just, given uh, COVID, it's, it's very hard to, to really understand what this short-term future is going to look like for them. And so between players, coaches, staff, I mean, obviously everybody's having to look through a a far different set of lenses than they normally do. And we're trying to do the best we can to to just keep taking baby steps um, with their development and, and with our coaching from afar. In the meantime, we have trying to keep our fans entertained, digging into those archives, and we have some good stuff coming. So today and tomorrow, we finish up the 2019 NLDS. And you and I have talked about that uh, in the past. We've had uh, coming off as postseason where the Cardinals lost to the Nationals. That's one you could look at it one way, or you could say that they were the top four teams still standing and a dramatic win over the Braves in the NLDS. So that's today. Game four is today. Game five is tomorrow. And then we get into 2006. This is a team, John, that had a record late in the year uh, of 83 and 78 is how they finished the regular season and went on to win the World Series. Looking back at that, the entering that Padres series in the division series, what was the difference? What did the team look around and notice about itself? That it was stronger? That it was ready to go? Because from that point, they took off. Yeah, the, the, the biggest takeaway of, of that club was it, it, it got healthy at the right time. Um, it was a, it was a team that, that had a lot of ups and downs throughout the year, if you remember. And we finally were able to, to sort of put that you know, quote, when you break spring training, what do you look like? And that team was uh, there at, at, at in September. And I think, you know, ultimately it, it just got hot at the right time in, in October. But it was really about having your best players healthy at the right time. I remember that summer we had, a you know, some interesting games where we were playing the, I think it was the American League Central, and we got kind of beat up by the White Sox and, and uh, Detroit. And uh, I remember when we came off that road trip, I was like talking with Scott Rowland and he's like, I don't think we can handle the White Sox, but we might be able to take Detroit if we get there. (laughs) And so 
ironically, yeah, we did. And uh, I remember that night after we won the World Series, I, I ran into him and I'm like, you told me. And he was sort of like, yep. <laughs> I don't know if he'll remember that story, but I certainly do. And um, it was pretty prolific. I love it. Here's how it sounded. Brandon Inge at the dish. Wainwright pitches. Half swing and a strike is called. And the Cardinals are within one strike of a world championship for 2006. It would be their 10th world championship banner to fly. Two on, two out. An 0-2 pitch. Wainwright has the sign he wants. He brings it home. In. Swing and a miss. The Cardinals are world champions for 2006 as Wainwright greets the catcher and the mob of the pitcher and catcher on the mound here at Bush Stadium. The Cardinals are the world champions for 2006. The 10th world championship in their illustrious franchise history, and it goes to number 10, the Cardinal manager, Tony La Russa. Great call right there by Mike Shannon. First season in Bush Stadium 3, and I just remember that emotional release. It had been since 1982. There was so much that had happened between 82 and 06, John, and you were a big part of a lot of it. To finally win that was a real lift, and a, and a real lift off the shoulders, wasn't it? Well, it really was. I mean, as you point out, for, for really the city and the franchise, it had been a long time. But even just for that group of people that were working and, and, and a part of the 04 and 05 teams, it was it was almost like finally. Because, you know, in 04, probably the best baseball team I've ever been a part of. Um, you know, you had three guys with 1,000 OPS or higher. You had guys that could eat innings. It was just a really, really talented baseball team. And of course, we won 105 games, right? And then disappointing World Series. We go into 05 with a lot of optimism, thinking, okay, okay this is a really good team. And we were. Um, we won 100 games. Came up short in the National League Championship Series. And so there was sort of like that, oh, no. And then we go into 06 with with – just this hope that, okay, well, maybe we can get this right. And that season just nothing went smoothly in that season at all. And and when you really look back at it, kind of what your point earlier was, you know, October became magical. And, you know, again, when you get to the postseason, anything can happen. And I remember talking like with Walt, Tony, um, and many others, like when you think about building a roster, there's a roster you have to build to get you the one through 162, but then you also have to have a team that can play in October. And they are a little bit different and trying to find that right mix. And for us in 06, it was we got healthy and all of a sudden our stars could play, our stars could contribute, and we did. We will start on Tuesday. We're happy to announce that we will be playing the entire NLCS against the Mets and the World Series against the Tigers starting Tuesday night here on KMOX from 2006. What a time that was. Classics here on KMOX. John Mozalock, thanks as always for the visit. Great to have you on Sports on a Sunday morning. Have a great day. Beautiful day today. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. You too. Back in a moment with Chris Raby of our KMOX sports staff as he gets you ready for game Four of the 2019 NLDS against the Braves. That's next on KMOX. KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh, yeah. 
on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back to the show. Tom Ackerman with you. And wrapping things up today, we've talked a lot today, a lot of topics that are happening in our society, and we've also talked some baseball and other sports. And we wrap up with Chris Raby of our KMOX Sports staff, the host of Sports Open Line, and the host of 2011 Revisited, which has been a fun listen during the 6 o'clock hour on Wednesday nights. And, Chris, you followed it up with the Redbird Social. But I wanted to concentrate on 2011 Revisited, a series that you've put together, looking back at what's, gosh, almost been a decade now that amazing world championship run yeah it's been pretty cool tom and it's been uh fun to not only get feedback from the guys that i talked to originally as part of the pregame and postgame shows for the 2011 replays that we were putting together but then you know as i kind of started to build some of these stories and hear more stories reach out to more people and you know get thoughts of people that covered the team, people around the team, not just the players and, and staff members, but, you know, a ton of people, some fan reactions. So it's been fun. It's been fun to um, work on those. Last week, episode three, which is available right now, com and wherever you listen to podcasts, that took us um, kind of to the very front of the trade deadline and kind of the Colby Rasmus um, stuff that boiled up over the previous really almost season. So, it's been great. It's um, been a lot of fun to work on and looking forward to, uh, you know, this week and to keep moving forward. Yeah, I bet it's been a lot of fun to put together and to hear all those amazing voices. And what a season it was. So 2011, you can look at these 2011 revisited with Chris Raby at 6 o'clock on Wednesday nights. And then the Redbird Social, just something we put together to have you be able to visit with different people. And I've also joined you for some of that. You had Jack Flaherty for a full hour two weeks ago. And last week, a fun listen with Jason Mott and Kyle McClellan. In fact, Kyle joined us a little earlier this hour here on Sports on a Sunday Morning uh, two guys that know about not only that 2011 season very well, but uh, the passion and love of Cardinal baseball and what it means to be down on that field feeling that, Chris. Yeah, and, you know, I was talking to Kyle and Jason, too, about just what's going on right now and how we hopefully might get back on the field. And I think both of those guys had an interesting perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, in that regard because, you know, they both come back from traumatic injury, from Tommy John surgery. And, They've both been guys who have had to grind for a while in the minors. Um, So to hear them talk about right now, you know, Kyle said he's frankly worried about some of the minor leaguers and and what's going to happen if they try to get back and how they're going to start to move forward and, you know, how they're going to hopefully get on the field after this is done. And, you know, I think that that's all fair. I know that we think about big leaguers right now and fans think about, you know, when the big leaguers are going to return to the field and what we're going to hear on our radio and see on our television. But I think there's a lot more that goes into it than just that. No, there's no doubt about it. We have uh, Cardinal Baseball coming up here at noon. It's game four of the 2019 NLDS. It's the Yachty game, Chris, and it was a heck of a game, wasn't it? I mean, I remember we were, I was sitting with our producer, Mike Anderson. I had him sit with me, and I had a couple of seats right there on the first base line up from the dugout a little bit, and <laughs> we couldn't help ourselves. That was an unbelievable moment. We were screaming our heads off when Yachty put that ball just over over the reach of Freddie Freeman's glove. Yeah, how long did it seem like that ball hung in the air? Oh, like I know. Five minutes, ten minutes. And, you know, that was just one of those games that uh, I still remember in going back over this weekend and listening to some of the stuff from games two and games three. I remember specifically 
after game three on Sunday, when the Cardinals uh, dropped the game and were down 2-1 in the series, I remember specifically Adam Wainwright getting a standing ovation. I remember all of us talking to Adam Wainwright after the game. I remember Jack Flaherty waiting while the media talked to Adam Wainwright and then kind of gave him a hug and had a couple of words with him. And then Wainwright said, hey, I've got more champagne to taste. You know, this isn't over. And it felt like maybe it wasn't going to end that way throughout much of game four. Sorry for the spoiler alerts. But, um, you know, it felt really, really bleak until, you know, I think the moment that I think about Tom, and I know you've spent a lot of time with him, is Ryan Helsley in that top of the eighth inning striking out the side and coming off the field with Yachty and just, you know, so fired up and finally getting the crowd something to be excited about after there had been kind of a a lull over the last inning or two with the Cardinals offense. And after that, they're able to obviously tie the game up and then obviously win the game. So, yeah, that was incredible. That was just a great event to go on and, and go to Atlanta in game five and win the way that they did. What a team, what a, uh, what a series. Looking forward to hearing those couple of games. Yeah, it's going to be great. Game five was just ridiculous. I've never seen anything like that. The explosion in the Unreal. first inning. Unreal. And the Cardinals won that game in Atlanta. Unfortunately, we know the rest of the story. They fell in the, this is the NLCS to the Nationals, a hot team that ended up winning the World Series. But we will look back at the final two games of that awesome series against the Braves and see what that means for this team moving forward in 2020. And then starting this week, we will dig into 2006, another World Championship run. A lot of people have asked, are you guys going to run 2006? Because at the time, Chris, those games actually weren't on our radio station. We went through a period of time where uh, we did not have Cardinals games for about five years. That was the first of five and the Cardinals won the World Series in 06. Yes, we do have that audio, and we will be playing back the NLCS and the World Series in its entirety. And then after that, who knows? We'll see. Will we get baseball in 2020, or will we be continuing to play classic games? We'll be prepared either way, won't we, Chris? Yeah, and it's been fun to go back, especially since I wasn't, uh, you know, I was a dreaded Cub fan during the 04 and 06 uh, campaign. So it's been fun for me to kind of, lived these as a Cardinals fan for the first time. And yeah, then the team came back to KMOX in 2011. That's how Mike and John kicked off the season. So it's been great. And I hope fans are, are enjoying them. I'm enjoying the heck out of doing the pregames and postgames. Well, it's been fun to listen. We appreciate the hard work, and we will catch up with you real soon. We'll hear you actually coming up here at noon with pregame of Game 4 of the 2019 NLDS. Chris, we appreciate it. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you to Chris Raby. Before we go, we want to give our thoughts and prayers and love to former Cardinals pitcher Mike Perez. Uh, his daughter, Michelle, has passed away at the age of 19. She had cancer. Uh, Mike Perez, former Cardinal, and we uh, send love and prayers to his family from all of us in the Cardinals family and the KMOX family. Thanks for joining us on Sports on a Sunday Morning. We will catch up with you soon. Game 4 of the NLDS is next. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.